When you think of a Texan, you probably picture a cowboy, maybe even a kid riding to school on a horse. And while that's sometimes the case, it doesn't quite fit for everyone. Texans come in all shapes, sizes, ethnicities, and backgrounds. And that's why the Austin American Statesman is proud to present Truly Texan, a podcast showcasing all the different people that make the Lone Star State so unique. Today, we're talking with Austin-based drag queen Bridget Bandit about her journey into drag as well as her current fight against the Texas legislature's anti-drag bills. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. So for people who may not know, can you give us a little introduction on who you are, where you're from? Yeah, sure. My name is Bridget Bandit. I am a local Austin, Texas drag queen and performer and artist. Um, And I'm from here um, in Austin. It has changed so much. But yeah, I remember growing up just um, having a lot of fun things to do all the time. I think I I really took that for granted. Like, I kind of have traveled a little bit more. And I'm like, wow, I really grew up in a really fun place, you know. And it's kind of hard to see how it has changed, though, since then. But um, I am really lucky that this is where uh, I, I came from, you know? We used to, I remember going to like first Thursdays on South Congress when it was actually local businesses and um, people would just like set up their own little like booths for selling whatever they wanted to like on the street and uh, just meeting a ton of people down there. I remember seeing Leslie down there. And then there was also like an old um, Volkswagen meetup group. And my mom had like an old 69 VW Bug. And then we would all get together and drive down South Congress in all our old little buggies on on first Thursday. And it was so fun. And everybody would wave. It was like a little parade. Yeah, that's so, so fun. fun. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> so speaking of kind of childhood memories, what would you say, like, how would you describe how you were as a child? Were you always a performer or were you maybe shy and came out of your shell later? What were you like as a kid? I think I was, like, pretty outgoing, but I never really, like, uh, took the spotlight anywhere. You know, I was a band kid, so I loved being on stage and performing, but it was always with, like, a group. Um, So I didn't actually start, like performing by myself until I started doing drag, but I had never really done theater or anything like that. But I was, I've always been pretty outgoing and loud and expressive. Yeah. Right, right. Uh And so then how did you first find out about drag? Like how old were you and what was that experience for you? Well, I think I just kind of like grew up knowing about drag and drag queens, you know? Um, uh, Yeah, I think the, the very first time I ever saw a drag queen IRL was, I think, um, I used to work with um, an entertainer who she did drag, but I only knew him as Philip whenever we were working together. And then one time he had a gig right after work and went to go change in the back and came back out. And I was like blown away. I was just like floored at the, the transformation of this person. Like she's just gorgeous. She still performs here in Austin. Her name's Simone Riviera. But um, yeah, I remember that was like my, my wow, like, the impact of of drag really hit me in that moment. I was like 19 working at a little hair salon. Whenever I first started performing, I was 26. So it took a little it took a little while for me to kind of figure out that like somebody like me who's born female can do drag. And then it took me a little while after that to like actually uh, muster up the courage to actually try to do it. You know? Yeah. Right, right. I actually wanted to talk a little bit about that. You mentioned like being assigned female at birth, but you identify as non-binary, correct? Yes. Okay. Okay. So can you tell me a bit about your experience with coming into your own in that identity? 
Um, yeah, uh, I think that like, I think whenever I, I studied psychology actually in school and, but we never really talked about what it meant to be like non-binary. We did talk about what androgyny is. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh my God, I'm totally androgynous. Like that totally makes sense for me. And we even did like a, we did like a test of like what your, how many feminine traits you have versus masculine. And I literally was half and half. And so, um, I think once I once I was like introduced to the term non-binary, I was like, oh my gosh, that's totally me. Like it just made sense. Like it just was like it clicked, it connected. I didn't know it existed, but it took me a while to actually like come out and like share that. And I think through doing drag and like putting on this like kind of hyper feminine um uh, persona and taking it off so many times, I have a uh, kind of, I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely non-binary for sure. <laughs> yeah. And so then even before then, before you had like a term to put on it, did you know that you didn't quite fit in like a certain box, a societal box? Well, yeah, I think, um, I think I always kind of um, expressed myself differently than other people. Um, even going to high school, I would love to wear like dresses and heels and people were always like, you know, why, why is she wearing heels and dresses and stuff? Like, it just seems like too much. And I was like, it's just fun. Like, that's just what I like. And I, I want to wear. And so um, I think, um, I think I just have always kind of been unapologetically myself, whether or not I kind of understood what was actually going on deeper. I think that that uh, came uh, later with like more um, understanding of that kind of terminology and ideas, you know, I, I came out as a drag queen, I think, especially to like my family before I came out as non-binary. So I think once they swallowed the drag queen pill, the the other one was easier to take afterwards. You know, they were like, okay, yeah, we get it. Um, But they've always been really supportive of me and and whatnot. Um, But yeah, I think it was, it was trying to uh, share that somebody like me wanted to do drag to them who they've never, they didn't really understand um, like, I said, like being born female, wanting to do drag as a queen and having to make sure that I was valid in that and that they they get it now, you know? Yeah. Right. And can you talk more about your experience with being someone who was assigned female at birth being a drag queen? Because I think when most people think of drag, they think men like assigned male at birth dressing up as women. So what was kind of your experience with that or like misconceptions that you've seen in that space? Um, I think that I think that people who do drag understand that anybody can do drag. It really is just like an illusion. It's playing with like the idea of what it looks like to be a man or a woman in our society and those kind of expectations because it's not like women inherently like pink and wear dresses and heels, you know. So it's kind of playing with uh, the gender binary and gender stereotypes and expectations or whatnot. People in the drag community, you know, there was there's definitely. Uh, it's definitely been a little bit more accepted now, um, but they kind of understood where I was coming from. It's the people who don't really go to drag shows like that. They they don't get it. They want to boil it down to a man wearing uh, women's clothes, but that's just not really what it is. You know, drag is so much more than that. It really is. Um, it just gives a space for people to be their most authentic selves. And uh, that's what drag is for me. But as soon as I found out that there were female drag queens, I cried. Like, it was, like, such a, like, just a a epiphany, like, moment of, like, 
wow, like this is absolutely what I want to do. As like I said, I have always expressed myself in like this like kind of very feminine way with with even growing up wearing heels and dresses and and, and wanting to explore that space. And I've always had to kind of tone it down because <laughs> because of the spaces that I had to exist in. So to to find a space where I could just go all out was like a freedom, you know. Um, so yeah, that was a really cool thing to learn. <laughs> yeah. And what I'm about to ask, I hope this makes sense, but there's, cause I'm chronically on TikTok. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a TikTok sound that says like non-binary people don't owe you androgyny. So I was wondering about your thoughts on that, especially when you are exploring like a more feminine space, like you're, so you're putting on like this feminine performance, feminine persona, but still are very much non-binary. How do those kind of balance out? Well, um, yeah, I think that I think that non-binary people can express themselves however they want. Like I said, like um, uh, the way that people express themselves uh, is based on expectations in our society. And so it's like people are taught to um, think that, you know, wearing pants is masculine when it's, that's not really like inherent to anybody's like genitalia or like gender. Right. And so being non-binary is kind of like just throwing all that shit out of the window, right? And um, doing whatever whatever you want to – whatever makes you feel good, you know? So if you like feminine stuff, be feminine. If you like masculine stuff, be masculine. It it's, doesn't mean that you are a man or a woman, you know? You can still out, uh, exist outside of that space no matter how you present yourself. And so, yeah, that's the idea that uh, non-binary people don't owe you androgyny. Yeah, and so, I mean, I love, I love being uh, – the hyper feminine non-binary person uh, but it also goes into a space where people think I'm a man whenever I'm in drag so it's kind of this weird like gender euphoria of like wow like nobody knows what's going on underneath here when I look like a beautiful gorgeous woman when you first got into drag what was it like kind of creating your persona and then ultimately becoming like a Dolly Parton-ish or esque drag queen. Yeah, I I, I did not intention. That was not intentional. Um, over uh, COVID, actually, I I lost a lot of the drag performers. Lost a lot of opportunities. Obviously, we all did. Um, and we were trying to find ways to keep working. And uh, a woman reached out to me named Carrie Lynn about doing a drag delivery so that I would perform in front of people's houses, have like socially distanced entertainment that people could order for their friends and family, like for their birthdays or anniversaries or stuff whenever they couldn't actually get together. And uh, she was like, I had done, it was since COVID hit, it hit right after Dolly Parton's birthday, which is in uh, January. So I had posted uh, some of the Dolly shows I had been hired to do for that. And it was just like perfect timing. She was like, I want you to do Dolly. And I did Dolly Parton all over everywhere. I've done it in an old folks home. <laughs> I've done it for kids events. I've done it for um, uh, in front of yards, backyards, people's houses everywhere. So um, it kind of just took off. People love Dolly Parton, and uh, I love Dolly Parton, too. I just, uh, she really is such a big idol and inspiration for me. So I'm very happy to be known for my impersonation work for her. Yeah. Has she ever, like, noticed you at all? Like, have you have you gotten her attention? <laughs> Not yet. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Right. That's, like, the ultimate goal, right? Oh, my God. Get... I would, yes. I would just die. I would yeah. Just, I would quit drag on the spot. I'd be like, that's it. That's the highlight of my of my career. Right. It doesn't get better than this. <laughs> yeah, that's Once it. That's all reached... I needed. Yeah, yeah. Validation from Dolly Parton herself. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> I love that. 
So then what was your very first performance like? I know you said that you were 26 when you first had like your first performance. So what was that experience like? Were you like super nervous or what was the reception? Well, I think um, uh, the very first times I went out in drag, I didn't perform. So I had kind of been going out in drag just to kind of explore myself and um, in that realm before I actually like step stepped foot on a stage. The very first time I performed was like a couple months after I had actually started doing drag. Um, and yeah, I, I think I was just ready to do it. I just went out there and did it. I actually had my mom with me on stage because <laughs> she was a performer herself um, a long time ago whenever I was growing up. And so I had her on stage with me. So I, I had I had like a support and I felt very confident. I knew what I was doing and I knew what I wanted to present. And so I was I was ready to go. Yeah, it was a very cathartic uh, experience to break into the drag um, drag performance the way that I did. So, That's yeah. really sweet that your mom was there. And I know you said that your family's been supportive of it. So do they still like come to your shows or what do they think of kind of your fame and like the way that you, you know, had those viral hits on TikTok and your current work with going to like the legislature? Yeah, they they love it. They're very supportive of it. Uh, my mom even came. It was like my birthday a couple weeks ago. She made a big Barbie birthday cake and dressed her up like me while holding my little uh, long live Texas drag sign and everything. And it was so cute. Everybody loved it. She even like cut cake for everybody at the show. And so, yeah, she's very supportive. I'm very lucky to have her and have uh, people like that in my life. Um, like my my dad doesn't know I do drag, so it's kind of like I have both worlds of like, okay, you know, I know this person's not going to be into it, but at least I have my mom and that side of my family who does. And like my gay uncle and his partner just love, you know, he's always like, I opened the I opened the news today and I saw you front page, blah blah blah. So um, yeah, I hear about it from them. They're they're great. Right. Right. So your dad doesn't know. How does how does that work? It seems like it would be kind of a, a big part of yourself to kind of... I just stopped talking to him. <laughs> you know, That's you, fair. Get to, you get to a point where you heal yourself enough that you're like, ah, uh, you know, there's certain people I want in my life and I don't. And so, yeah. um, you know, I my father and I, yeah, he doesn't know. But I wonder, I sometimes I wonder if he does know because at this point, you know, there's enough people who do. So right, right. I wonder if he does. But. Yeah. And you mentioned some videos going viral on TikTok. And I think I realized that I'd seen you before, but like years back. So it's kind of like full circle where I think I saw a video of you performing at like a girl's birthday party in like a pink dress, mm-hmm. blonde hair. And it was about, you know, like, oh, they think that, you know, drag queens are dangerous to kids. Meanwhile, this is what drag queens yeah. are doing. And yeah. so I remember seeing that video like years back and it was such a big thing. And so it's kind of a funny full circle that now I'm, I'm speaking to you. But was that kind of your first dip into virality? Like what was that specific video like for you and that experience? Yeah, that went viral. Um, and yeah, that was like my biggest thing that I had ever had blow up online until I testified. But um I had taken a video from, it was a a child's first birthday party, (laughs) and uh, I was performing for them, and I put Texas Republicans, we must protect kids from drag queens, and then I put drag queens, and it was like the performance, and I was doing Katy Perry's firework, and all the kids were dancing, and then even the one-year-old in the high chair, like, throws her arms up and starts dancing with everybody, and it's just, like, just pure fun. Like, it's just a good time like there's there's nothing you can say is wrong you know it's unless you are like 
um, I don't know, these people like to say that drag is inherently sexual. And I'm like, unless you are sexualizing me in like a big puffy pink gown, like what is that? You know, that's something that y'all need to figure out on your own. Um, but yeah, that video went viral and um, people loved it. People loved it. I think there's a lot of videos that go viral about with uh, drag performers around kids uh, that go viral for the wrong reasons. And they're edited in a way that is um, intentionally misleading. And so it's nice to be able to like combat that with what actually happens in uh, like all ages drag events and and uh, events like that uh, kids birthday party that I was hired for. You know, I just this wasn't something that I like I look for. I just was like, yeah, it's a gig. I'm going to take the gig. I'm going to do the gig. But yeah, that one went viral. Um and then somebody commented, well, until you realize that it's a man in a dress. And then I responded with, you know, actually, I'm not a man. Um, and that also went viral afterwards. So people just loved it. They, Yeah, all everything about it. Yeah, yeah. And so now with your work in the legislature, I know you testified not too long ago. Can you talk about your work with that and with trying to push back against bills that are trying to basically tra- take drag away? Yeah, um, yeah, I've 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 always been pretty political in my work, and so this was very important to me. I had uh, seen these kind of bills being introduced kind of around the country, and you know, my TikTok for you page is is people's testimonies. I just um, really do uh, uh, appreciate the power that people have in their words and their presence uh, fighting these kinds of uh, uh, anti queer laws that we're seeing all over the place. Um, so whenever it was like happening here in Texas, I was like, okay, let's go. You know, I had never testified before. I had never really done much at the Capitol other than like, what was it? Like a field trip in the fifth grade or something like I, um, but I knew I had something to say and I was ready to like fight for my community. And so, um, it's kind of like what we talked about earlier about, uh, the TikTok videos. I kind of understood my power in, the way that people perceive me versus what's actually happening. And with the way that they were um, defining a drag, it was a man dresses as a woman or a woman dresses as a man. So I was like, okay, well, I need to go in drag <laughs> and then talk to them and then, uh, you know, it, it show them that, you know, these laws are discriminatory based on sex because why should somebody like me continue to be able to do the same kind of events with the same costumes and content and stuff like that, but not like male drag queens. So, um, yeah, I was just like, it was very intentional, everything I did, being in drag, deciding to go in drag, deciding to say what I did. And, uh, yeah, people, people really liked that. The second testimony was a little different <laughs> than the first one. The first one I went in there thinking that they would actually care to listen to us and, um, they didn't really. So, um, that was really hard, but uh, I made everybody else listen. I, it was my very first time testifying. I've never. Have you ever testified at this? No. Okay. <laughs> just, it sounds very well, scary. They make it. They make it as difficult as possible for like the average Texan to be able to go make their voice heard. You only have two minutes to speak. They don't have an actual calendar or schedule about what bills are going to be heard. Like in order on the day, you only know what's going to be heard that day. It comes out just like a few days before, so you have to like. Make sure you have the day off, like make sure you're available and and have several hours to sit there and wait to speak your two minutes. So I went there in full drag. I think I was there at like 
nine, eight or nine in the morning. I had to wake up at six in the morning to get to drag. Normally, that's when I'm going to sleep. So that was hard for me. Okay. And um, I just sat there all day in drag until I finally got to speak in the afternoon. It was probably like four o'clock at that point for my two minutes. But I was like, gosh, like people with kids, like people who have who have nine to five jobs and stuff, they can't do this. This is just, you know, they're really but they really are picking on, on the wrong community. I got all day available, okay? <laughs> my shows, my stuff isn't until later and, and on the weekends, you know? Um, but yeah, that was really surprising that we had to wait that long. And then after waiting that long and being so intentional, and I had spent I had spent hours preparing my testimony and getting into drag and being there, all the people, the way they set it up was the people who were speaking for the bill started because it was only it, we they were outnumbered five to one, so it was only a few of them, and then when and then they went to the people against speaking against the bills, and whenever they switched from uh, the people speaking for to against, half of them get up and just walk out and leave the chamber, and I was just so frustrated and and like what like these are the people whose minds I'm trying to change like I actually thought that they would care, but it was more like they were trying to show that. They don't care, you know, and they made it they made it apparent because they didn't even leave the the full chamber. They went up into the gallery to watch from below, but they didn't want us to see that they were sitting at their desks and like actually paying attention and cared. So it's like they still wanted to see what was going on, but they didn't want to actually show that um, they, they actually care about the Texans that they're making the laws for. So that radicalized me a little bit. <laughs> that radicalized me. And I was so polite and and. Um, just really hoping that they would listen and they didn't. And so that kind of helped shape my second testimony. And also that they went ahead and did take out the part of the drag bill that said that defined drag as a man dressed as a woman or a woman dressed as a man. Whenever it went to, it started in the Senate and then it went to the House. So you can testify both in the Senate and the House. And whenever it goes, went over to the House, they had modified the language of the bill. So I was like, okay, well, I don't know what to talk about at this point. But um, there was a, a group called the Texas Family Project who had just released a uh, ad, a TV ad aimed to push SB12, the anti-drag bill, that had taken an image from an outdoor daytime story hour I had I had hosted. It was one of the other queens that were in that was in the show, but I recognized it because it was my show. And they had edited it into the background of a dark nightclub to push this legislation and and put that in the ads and stuff. And that's what got SB 12 scheduled in the house because we were hoping like, OK, if, if, it, if it doesn't make it to calendars at a certain time, the bill dies. But it ended up being scheduled. And I was so mad. I posted the original photo and the edited photo on Twitter and it blew up. I did not expect it to blow up that way, but it did. And then I had a ton of the far right ready to discredit me. You know, they were trying to find anything they could to make it seem like I wasn't somebody who uh, should be listened to. And so that was right before I had to go testify. And I knowing that those people were going to be there, you know, and I wanted to go and drag again. My original idea was to go dress in Dolly Parton drag and be like, you know, this is really no different than what Dolly Parton does, like her kinds of events and shows. Um, but I was like, if I go in wearing my breastplate, they're going to be like, you know, they're going to say they're going to have something to say. So I was like, OK, I have to do I can't do that. I have to do something else. 
And then that weekend was the uh, weekend of the shooting at the Allen Mall. And, um, and, there, and there were kids that died. And gosh, it just breaks my heart. And then also the parents of Uvalde had been at the Texas legislature at the Capitol, the entire legislative session, every single day, every single day. I It's so hard to even just spend a day there. I could not imagine, like, mourning the death of your kids, but also showing up to, like, fight for them the way that they were uh, at the Texas Capitol. And they just ignored them, and they let those bills die that they were fighting for. And one of those bills died the night, the night before um, they heard the anti-drag ban bill. And so <laughs> knowing that these groups, these hate groups are going to be there and in response to, well, they're not going to listen to me anyway. And, um, and the shootings and the way that they, they sit there and they try to claim that they care about uh, protecting our kids, but they can't even, you know, go to school without feeling like their lives are being threatened to just, fucked up. <laughs> um, so I I put together a costume and I put the I wore the Texas flag um, um, up top and underneath the Texas flag I wrote all the names of the kids from Uvalde and I included the kids that were um, killed in Allen too underneath the Texas flag and then on the back of my gown <laughs> I took the names of the anti-drag the anti-queer hate groups that have been pushing the anti-drag bills. It's called, one of them is called Protect Texas Kids. Ugh. And I wrote that on the back of my dress. I put Protect Texas Kids. And there was another group called Defend Our Kids. And I put Defend Our Kids from Gun Violence, Restrict Guns, Not Drag. Because I thought if they're going to sit there and be trying to sneak photos of me to discredit me, I'm going to make them pay attention to the issue that they choose to ignore. And so that's what I did. And uh, my testimony was kind of, um, I did hit on that, how, you know, they have uh, failed to to listen to these parents and, and you're sitting there trying to say that you care about kids and, and you let this legislation die. Y'all are sitting there more concerned about who can wear a dress and heels in public versus that, you know, people can bring guns into the schools here. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, that was a, that was, and that, and that's, that second time, I waited 13 hours to speak. I got there at 9 in the morning, and I didn't speak until, um, uh, like, 1130, yeah, at night. So I sat there all day again and even longer um, to have those two minutes, and then I spoke a little bit over my time, but I continued to speak into the mic so that they could hear me, and they called security up, and I was escorted out by the police um, that second time, just because I went, uh, I went about 15 seconds over my time. So, um, and so I was escorted out by the police and I didn't get to sit there and, and watch it, the rest of the testimonies or anything like that. But I think it, I think it wasn't about, um, me going over time, you know? So I think that was about, they didn't like what I had to say. <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of just asking you to like sit back down, they, escorted you yes out. yeah they did they said they called up security and i was like okay well the cops are gonna come get me like i'm just gonna go ahead and and walk out with my head held high you know and and say what i need to say at least i said what i needed to say you know right yeah thank you for sharing that it sounds like a really <laughs> difficult taxing but important experience the people there didn't want to listen but it seems that 
on social media and like within your community, there was support yes. and a positive response to it. So what was that like for you, especially in contrast with what you just witnessed in the Capitol? Yeah, I think that that's kind of what I also figured out the first time is, you know, even though I had sat there all day and those people didn't listen to me, <laughs> that first testimony went so viral I was doing so many different kinds of interviews with different, even Texas Monthly, like, put did a story on it. And I was like, wow, that that is so important to have the space to actually talk truth about the matter whenever we have so many people, uh, you know, manipulating the truth, like like those images and stuff, and, and editing those things to push this false narrative. We need to uplift the people in the community who can actually share what's actually going on. And so to be given those kind of opportunities is so important right now, like doing these kinds of things. It's very important. And um, and then I realized, you know, if they're not going to listen to me, I can make everybody else listen to me. And so um, that was the goal. And the second time, the second time it also went viral, I didn't, um, I mean, I knew that the out, the what I wore was going to be powerful, but I didn't expect to also, you know, be escorted out by the police wearing something like that. And that, um, I, I think, also struck a lot of people online. And so that also went viral as well. And I've also, you know, had the opportunity to talk, talk about that a lot more as well. Right. Yeah. Did you expect for it to go viral and to become kind of this face for advocacy for the drag space? Because honestly, like when I was thinking, I knew that I wanted to interview someone in this space. And I didn't, even though I didn't know your name at the time, I thought I was like, I know that there's a drag queen who just got escorted out of the legislature and by the dress, I saw that dress in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need to find them because yeah. I want to talk to them. So like in my mind, like, you know, you were the first person I thought of when I thought of that issue with like, drag queens and the bands against it. So did you think that you would ever kind of be that face and that voice? Uh, no, this is like definitely my l- whole life has kind of like shifted. And I, I, I've i always been, like I said, political in my acts and stuff. But now I've, I've like people are paying attention to me in a way that they've never really paid attention to me before. Um, but I, I'm utilizing it as much as I can to like advocate for my community and push against these, these lies and deceit and stuff that – um, puts our community uh, at risk um, and in danger. So, um, yeah, it has been it has it has been a change <laughs> for sure. Um, but um, yeah, I just have to keep doing what I'm I'm doing. Yeah, that's the way I see it for sure. Mm-hmm. And so, what does your work look like now? What are you kind of doing with pushing back against these bills? What does it look like for you right now? Um, right now, just um, um, there's really not much we can like do. It's scheduled to go into effect on September 1st, but I have been talking with um, certain organizations who are looking to go ahead and sue the state of Texas. And hopefully we can um, get it blocked, kind of like what happened in Tennessee. The Tennessee uh, drag man bill was blocked in the courts. So we're hoping that we can do that as well. Uh, Actually, I need to email them back. (laughs) But because there's been, um, we've had a record number of anti-queer laws and bills that have passed, um, this legislative session, they're kind of overwhelmed. So they're also dealing with, you know, the anti-trans 
health care bill and uh, stuff like that. So they're a little, you know, we're overwhelmed, but we're trying to get it done as as uh, fast as possible. But, I mean, at this point, it's just trying to fight it in the courts and hoping that we win the same way that it's happened in the other uh, other parts of the country. So. Um, doing that and then and then talking with people, doing things like this and um, continuing to spread awareness and create more support for um, what's happening to us um, because it is it is scary. Yeah, I imagine that it's really scary and like not even just for your livelihood and how you make a living, but I imagine also just for your general safety, right? Yes, I had I actually just um, a few weeks ago went online and somebody had sent me that Protect Texas Kids, one of those groups that I had talked about, had found my legal name and age and posted it and said, it says groomer identified my legal name, my age, um, perform sexually explicit shows in front of kids, which is not true. I've never done that in my entire life. And um, I was like, wow, okay, they are, I've been doxxed, you know, and, and they have my legal information now. And um, uh, I've been working a lot with Equality Texas, an amazing organization that helped me help prepare my testimonies and stuff. Um, they uh, they helped me get a, like a delete me account so that I could delete, delete any like personal information that they could find online and stuff. But I was worried like you you're sitting there spreading my personal information under this idea that I do things that I don't. They are purposely trying to find ways to to cause harm to me. And um, they try to act like, oh, well, why are these people trying to hide behind fake names? I'm like, why do you feel the need to post my legal information online? You know, so, um, yeah, that was really scary. But um to finish the story real quick, um, enough people reported that post on Instagram and Facebook that Protect Texas Kids lost their whole Instagram account. They're banned from Instagram and Facebook. So they got completely banned on these platforms. And uh, as much as that is a win, it also puts a bigger target on my back, you know, so um, I'm so proud of the community for banding together the way that we did and reporting it like we did. Um, but now I'm also like, oh, gosh, what comes next, you know? Right. Yeah. Have you ever – has a thought ever crossed your mind of, I might have to leave Texas? Like, I don't know if I can stay here or are you holding your ground? Um. Yeah. You know, I'm born and raised here. I, I love it. I love Texas. I love being here. And I know that, um, you know, no matter what happens, like queer Texans are always going to exist. We're always going to be here. And I can use, you know, my privileges as, as you know, we call it privileges, but I don't I don't need any kind of like um, uh, gender affirming care or, or anything like that. So I'm not concerned there. Um, and and existing um, like this outside of drag, I don't really feel like my safety is threatened. It really is only whenever. I am in drag, but, um, you know, I know what to do to stay safe or whatnot. And I'm, and that's what they want. Like, they want us to leave Texas. Well, I'm not going to leave Texas. <laughs> no, no. Well, and as we come to kind of the end of our interview here, there's a question that I want to ask each person that comes on to this podcast. So you'll be the first to give your input. And that is, what does it mean to you to be Texan? Uh to be Texan? <laughs> That's a good question. Hold on. I don't have to think about this. Well, you know, I, I, I guess I guess uh, it was 
I, I can't imagine having my childhood anywhere else and, and being who I am today. I um, I think especially being, uh, being an Austinite, it has allowed me to, um, you know, be true to myself and even my family and where I come from, be true to ourselves and um, and have fun here. It's just, it's, we're just here to have fun and, and have a community and support each other. Thank you so very much for coming on here. I really appreciate it. And where can people find you? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I perform all over town, so come see me. Um, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Bridget Bandit. It's B-R-I-G-I-T-T-E Bandit. And, uh, yeah, I perform. Uh, this is my full-time job. I do drag full-time, so you can catch me performing pretty much any weekend somewhere here in Austin. <laughs> Thank you so very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to tell your story on Truly Texan, head over to the Austin American Statesman website and fill out our submission form. This podcast is hosted and edited by me, Hannah Ortega. You can find me on Instagram at Hannah Ortega ATX. 